With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru for an emergency Dave Dombrowski edition of the podcast. We recorded the podcast yesterday um, in the middle of the day before the uh, Yankees game and, um, you know, chaos ensued after that. So we decided we would hop on here and try and suss out uh, all of our thoughts on Dave Dombrowski, everything that's broken since then, and kind of talk about everything Dombrowski. So, um, Keaton, we're uh, we're back for a rare back-to-back days. This is this is uh, uncharted territory for this podcast. It is, but uh, boy, was that a that was a bombshell from last night, and it it seems like. Some people uh, on Twitter basically already put it out there, like, during the game. They had uh, put together some noise from the the front office and saw that the uh, owner's box was completely empty. Um, And it seems like even though the announcement came at, like, 12.05, it happened, like, either before the game or during the game, which makes all of the stuff that came after it even more weird. Yeah, it definitely seems like an incident occurred. Um, I don't think that this is how any organization would plan to have a firing go down, and it seems like, you know, we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast that, you know, we wouldn't be surprised at all, and I, you know, expected uh, Dave Dombrowski to be fired in the off season, and uh, but that's just it. I mean, they have 19 games left of mostly meaningless baseball at this point, Um Super weird to fire somebody at, you know, twelve oh five in the morning or whatever it was after a loss. It's just it's bizarre. It, it stinks of something else happening that we don't know about yet. Yeah, for sure. And it it's just kind of like it's really hard to believe that a ten five loss to the Yankees on a Sunday is what broke the camel's back. I guess for back lack of a better term, but. It's, I, I mean, I guess if the season is over, then it's not really that big of a deal if you're already going to make the – if you know you're, that you're already making this move, the season's over, you can make it now and kind of get ahead of the search. Yeah. Because uh, I'm sure Dombrowski won't be the only GM that gets let go. So, I, I don't know. That's the only thing that I can think of is that they just they conceded the season finally and uh, just figured, well, the season's over. We're going to make the move anyway, so let's make the move. But it's just 
absolutely everything about how this was handled is just so consistent with how they've handled others and terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, and on this podcast today, we're going to tackle a bunch of questions. We're going to talk about whether or not he should have been fired. We're going to talk about whether his tenure was a success or not. Um, and how he was fired, we're going to hit on that, how how much of a problem that was, and then we're going to touch on where the team goes from here. And we did get a ton of listener questions from all you guys about this, and we will tackle each and every one of those uh, on this podcast as well. So let's get started with the, do you believe Dombrowski should have been fired? Um, Keaton, what would you have done with Dombrowski? Would you have fired him or extended him? So I listened to uh, you and Matt on Locked On this morning, um, and I actually agreed with Matt on this one. I would have given him an extension, and we talked about this like maybe like a month and a half ago. I think we had a listener question for this, that was basically the same thing. Um, I felt like they were probably going to fire him um, because they just they haven't been publicly on the same page at all. Uh, Henry and Dombrowski. Pretty much from spring training. Uh, anytime that either of them spoke, they were not saying the same thing. And Dombrowski continued to insist that he was not given a, a hard cap of the third luxury tax to spend and go over, but they tiptoed by it anyway. Uh, and Henry continued to insist that they were not going to add payroll. So they, there was just no consistent communication from either group, so it really just kind of felt like it was – it was going to happen, but I would have given him an extension knowing that this is not a typical offseason. I think that a lot of the things that happened this year uh, go back to how he handled the offseason season ago, but I don't think it was anything that couldn't have been fixed, but I guess if um, knowing what's ahead of the Red Sox and in particularly in particular what's going to happen with Betts and Martinez. If you didn't think that Dombrowski was the right guy to handle them, then I kind of like, I understand, but there's, there's so much that has happened over the past 40 years of his tenure that isn't necessarily on him in terms of uh, like not being able to rebuild the farm. They basically had, two seasons where they couldn't spend internationally at all. So that was a big, big letdown. Uh, last year they had um, – well, they also had a regular, like, uh, draft pick taken away as well. So they're – I know that's that's the big thing that everybody points out with Dombrowski because he's done that at other uh, franchises in the past. He's come in and – gone win now and depleted farm systems and left them in shambles when he left. The Red Sox are obviously a different animal and they have much larger resources compared to some of the small market teams that he was at. But it wasn't really necessary. Like, I don't hold it against him for not being able to rebuild the farm. Um, they put a massive, massive wall up on their farm system this season. Basically said they weren't trading anybody. Um, which, again, I understand if the price was too high for guys that they were looking at at the deadline, then the, I wouldn't have wanted them to trade any prospects either. But that's that's the biggest thing that drives me nuts is every season the Red Sox will sign 
I don't know, like 60 prospects between the draft and international. And everybody keeps saying that, you know, we need to trade Mookie to replenish the farm or something like that. It should not be hard to replenish the farm. There's always more prospects. Every year there's so many more prospects. And there's usually folks that come over from, like, Cuba and uh, Asia that aren't part of, like, the regular crop of 16, 17, 18-year-old international signees, um, like how they acquired Mookie, for example. Or, I mean, I know it was a massive failure, but Rosny Castillo as well. There's just there's so many circumstances. Are they required Mookie? Did you mean Rusny? I thought I said Rusny, but yeah, that's who I meant. Okay, I just wanted to to correct the the narrative going forward. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> you got Mookie um, on the brain. It's not your fault. I do. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, so does everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So it, there's there's just so much that happens that kind of went against what Dombrowski was getting at, but I I think that the concerted effort really, like, league-wide to use the luxury tax thresholds as a hard cap to try and gain some kind of leverage back against the players uh, by ownership is really stupid and annoying and also part of what led to this. And that's not necessarily his fault as him wanting to go out to spend money to make the team better and then basically being told by ownership no uh, because, I mean, it's, it's a league-wide thing. It's a, a pretty obvious what the ownership is trying to do with players uh, over the past couple of years. And it's not a great climate for the game. So it seems like there's there's so many things that piled up behind him that led to this but I don't necessarily put it on him. So I don't. I wouldn't have been upset had they extended him, but because this is not a typical offseason, um, if they felt that he was not the one to handle it, like I kinda, I'm on board with letting him go, but fucking say it. Get in front of, like, don't let your players who just heard the news seconds earlier be the ones to face the cameras and answer for a decision that you made. And then again today with the lack of press conference, which was ridiculous, um, to not explain why they let him go, I, I just don't understand how this was handled at all. And it could have very easily been handled uh, just so much better to the point where it wasn't this massive, like, holy shit bomb dropped on everybody in the middle of the night. So I guess that's kind of a roundabout way of saying uh, I would have given him an extension, but I also understand the reasoning for letting him go. Well, um, just like I wouldn't have given Chris Dale an extension, I would not have given Dombrowski an extension, um, and I would... um, I want to explain my position on this by, by going back to the beginning. So... The reason why Dave Dombrowski was hired in the first place for the Boston Red Sox is because everybody was frustrated by the inaction or, frankly, wrong actions by Charrington in the form of bad signings. Uh, Sandoval, Ramirez, um, Charrington was very conservative. Uh, I think we all agree with that, and I think he caught lightning in a bottle with lots of low-risk 
contracts in 2013 to, to lead to that World Series, and then things sort of fell apart. Um, and he just wasn't the guy that could take what was a great collection of talent on the Red Sox farm system at the time and consolidate that into real premium talent assets. He just didn't have that in him. He didn't seem to be able to take the risk at that time. And I think maybe it was because he was a young GM or, you know, because of the the people he learned under, Theo Epstein and some of the more analytical guys there. But you get Dombrowski to come in to do just that. And I think when Dombrowski was hired for the Red Sox, we knew what Dombrowski was. We knew that he was an old-school general manager. We knew that he was coming from a Detroit team that had one-and-a-half analysts working uh, in their baseball ops department, which is like nothing versus with what the Red Sox had uh, under Charrington and Epstein and you know one of the most robust analytic departments in the entire major leagues. But we were fine with that because we thought that what Dave Dombrowski represented was a nice balance between old school and new school. We had the the new school already there. So as long as Dave Dombrowski didn't come in and clear those guys out, we were going to have both, right? It was going to be the best of both worlds. Dave coming in, Trader Dave, and then, you know, all these assets to work with and all these smart eggheads behind him to tell him what to do. And that worked. Dave Dombrowski had three division titles. He consolidated talent. He won a World Series in 2018. That was all great, um, and I want to give him credit for his successes. The sale trade was a success. Uh, Moncada and Kopech for you know what was an elite pitcher uh, at the time and still is an elite pitcher even despite the injury issues right now, um, that was a win, and he chose the right prospects to give up. He didn't give up Benintendi. You know, he didn't give up Devers, he didn't give up Betts, there's Xander Bogarts throughout any of this. He protected the right guys. I think he deserves props for that. Uh, he got Kimbrel as well in a deal where he sent Margot, Allen, Javi Guerrera, um, guys like that that, you know, well, well, decent prospects, not guys that we're going to regret. So that was a great thing as well. He also signed Gigi Martinez, uh, which was an amazing signing. David Price, which I think is a very iffy signing and not a very Red Sox signing, added Brad Ziegler and Addison Reed to this team. Um, I, I think that lists out a lot of the really good things that Dave Dombrowski did and that we should be thankful uh, for him doing. On the bad side of Dave Dombrowski's career, though, the Tyler Thornburg trade. We know how crappy that was. Um, I don't want to dwell on that too much, but... The Chris Dale extension, I think that that was one of the nails in his coffin um, to this ownership because I don't think they've been quite as impressed with the way that the David Price signing has worked out. Uh, I think that they really don't like the Eovaldi signing. He's got like an ERA over five right now and had loose bodies removed from his elbow and had about as many red flags as possible, and he's locked up to a $68 million deal. A lot of people say he bid against himself for David Price as well. He re-signed Pierce. He re-signed Nunez. You know, he he um, Nunez actually pushed them over the luxury tax as well. You know, Pierce hasn't been healthy this year. And, and the bottom line is that from all of these moves that Dave Dombrowski has made, he's hamstrung himself with this payroll that is so high that there's really no no room to work around it. And so then that's where the article comes in from Alex Spear, which 
I'll reference and quote right here. Um, he says, in signing, re-signing Eovaldi and then reaching a long-term deal with Sale, Dombrowski put the Red Sox in a position where, based on payroll projections, a significant in a significant desire to get under the luxury tax threshold sometime in the next two years to reset the penalty structure, they'll likely end up parting ways with J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, or both this winter. Okay, And to lead off that article, there was a quote at the top from a member of the Red Sox organization asking the question, is Dave creative enough to get us through this? So what people have been accusing Dave of, uh, who have criticized him, is lack of creativity as a general manager. Um, he's very direct the way that he goes at problems. He wanted an ace. He signed David Price. He wanted a closer. He traded for Kimbrell. He wanted another ace that you know he felt could handle the spotlight better. He traded assets to get Chris Sale. Uh, he has a very direct approach. Now, he didn't take the approach of going after any of the guys uh, who would have fit nicely under... The third luxury tax threshold um, at the trade deadline, he didn't go after any of those guys uh, in the offseason to shore up the bullpen. He took a very laissez-faire approach to the offseason. And I'll quote Steve Buckley here from his article today in regards to that. You'd think a man with his baseball resume would understand that each season is a separate entity and that all teams, regardless of record, even if a championship is involved, need to be uh, reviewed dispassionately during the cold months. He didn't do a good job with that. He failed in this past offseason. He failed uh, in at the trade deadline as well. So overall, when I look at his tenure, do I think it's a success? Absolutely. I think he, he did what he set out to do. But in the process of doing that, he's worked himself into a bit of a pickle where his payroll is so high that he no longer has the ability to do what he does best, which is go out and acquire big assets in the form of a trade, or sign big assets in the form of huge contracts. He doesn't have the money to do that any longer, and he doesn't have the assets to make those trades. He's also becoming insular uh, from from what we've heard. Um, he really only talks to Frank Wren and Tony Larusa about decisions. And uh, there was another quote, which I'll give you one more because why not. Um, from Abraham that says, uh, Sale nev- uh, not Sale, Dave Dombrowski never fit in with all the holdovers from the Charrington Epstein days. So, I mean, the old school personality, it works in some regards, but also if you're not properly melding with baseball ops, um, you can get into some trouble. So I think that going forward into the offseason where the 2019 you know, offseason is going to have just so much uncertainty with what happens with Mookie, what happens with uh, Jeannie Martinez, what happens with Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, a very injured, banged-up rotation. I just think that there are so many question marks that the last person you want handling this offseason is somebody who doesn't have the creativity or the wherewithal to work around these issues. Um, and so I feel like, yes, it was a success, but absolutely 100% this is the right move for this team at this time. So, I guess going back to the beginning of your opening statement here about Charrington, uh, because he was a young GM, John Henry was very heavily involved in the decision-making and things that he was a part of, to the point where um, it was more of that 
John Henry was making the decisions over Charrington. Charrington was just kind of there in a chair. So I put a lot of what happened with Charrington on Henry. And I also put a lot of what happened on this season on Henry as well. Because it seems more and more like, although Dombrowski was publicly saying that there was he didn't have any limits on spending or anything like that. It seems like the way that he handled the offseason and the trade deadline, that there was those things imposed because of, um, I mean, uh, Spear wrote about it, that they're you know trying to reset all of the, the penalties within the next two years. So if that's the case, then obviously then he had to have limits on spending because he couldn't have gone back over. So putting that cap on him coming into this season would limit what he could do in the free agent market and at the trade deadline. But he put himself in that position. That's my issue with that, is he is the one that chose many of the bad contracts that put him in that position. The sale extension, the David Price contract, the Eovaldi contract, which looked frankly ridiculous at this time. Those things are what are handicapping him from making additional moves, and that is 100% his fault. Is it? Do you think Price was him? Because I, again, put that on Henry and them going against everything that they... So, offseason where Lester left, they had stated, we're not spending big on a pitcher. We just don't see the need to do it. There's nothing we want to do. They completely mishandle and bungle that entire thing, and then the next offseason, they're like... Actually, never mind. We will spend on a on a pitcher if we feel like we need to, and then they drop a whole bunch of money on price to basically try and cover their asses for messing up the entire Lester situation. The, Did you put that on Dombo or Henry? Because again, I put that one on Henry. Oh no way! I put that one hundred percent on Dombo. I think that what happened there was you're absolutely right that Henry had too much of a heavy hand in what happened with Charrington. I totally agree with you there. But if you remember at the time when Dombrowski was hired, he was hired with the all these caveats that like he would have complete control. Like The only thing Henry would do is sign the checks, essentially. And this is a player that Dombrowski was very familiar with because he had traded with him to be on the Detroit Tigers. Um, so Dombrowski had a relationship. He is a huge fan of classic, tall, big power pitchers. This was his guy, and he bid against himself to get David Price and to assure that he did that before the winter meetings as well. So this is uh, – I, I, I do not think that this has anything to do with Henry. I think that the baseball ops team that was already there was extremely hesitant to go all in on a pitcher who was on the wrong side of 30 like David Price is. I mean, David Price is 34 now. He's in the fourth year of his deal. He was essentially signed during his – age 30 season or right after his age 29 season so the first season he pitched with the Red Sox is the one that he turned 30 so I mean you were, you were paying for the the age 30 through 36 or 37 seasons for for this player so yeah I, I put that completely on Dombrowski I think that he has had so much rope with this organization and I think that's actually what created the mistrust between he and Henry is that Henry was very hands-off and very trusting in Dombrowski, and Dombrowski simply made many wrong decisions that have got us to where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I I still feel like we're not letting, or we're, we are letting 
the front office off the hook a lot. And uh, you mean with ownership? This, yeah. Yeah. And given the way that they just, I keep coming back to how just different pages, the, what different pages they were on from the beginning of the season, um, as evidence that Henry was more involved. Uh, and maybe that was that. Maybe that was the difference. Maybe you're right. He was very trusting of Dombrowski through the first three years, and then after the World Series, saw what the financial situation was ahead of them, knowing that they are going to have to uh, take another shot at negotiating with bets. Uh, and so they want to try and get out ahead of that and try and reset the penalties. So it was just this year that they seen he seemed like he got more involved. But I, I don't know. I would be kind of surprised if his level of involvement was fluctuating like that. It seems like this is he would be this involved throughout, just as that's what his role is. I don't understand so what you're saying about the fluctuation. Can you explain that part? Where is his so role fluctuating? If he was well, I guess the in how hands on he was. So if the when they hired Dombrowski, you're saying he was completely hands off and trusting of all the decisions that Dombrowski was making. Right. And then all of a sudden, this year now started to kind of publicly speak out about what the direction of the club was, uh, where he hadn't in the past, and what Dombrowski was saying he wanted to do and where some of the needs that he wanted to attack were different than what uh, John Henry was saying in terms of what they had to spend and where they needed to kind of go get stuff. Because um, right before, I think it was probably around the London series, um, Henry had a massive press conference and talked about how um, he didn't think everybody should. I mean, we dissected that his whole all of his notes. So he didn't yeah. think that um, the a number of people that came back from last year's team should have come back, uh, and he wanted a closer, and all that goes completely against what actually happened uh, for the team. So that's that's why I wonder. Uh, if he was just not as hands off or, or as hands on in the beginning years of Dombrowski, and then it just sort of happened this year, where he he either was speaking out about it more or was getting more involved in keeping Dombrowski from spending money, uh, I would be surprised if that level of oversight fluctuated from year to year. Yeah, you know um, when when Dombrowski. Um took over I guess that would have been the end of 2015 so 2016 would have been his first year his payroll was 197 and his payroll went up to it stayed pretty much it went down a little bit in 2017 to 197 low it was 197 high the first year and then it jumped all the way up to 233 in 2018 when they won the World Series and I think that you know what happened was Henry was fine with going so all in with the team that was on the field for that season um, and the product that was being delivered. But then when he decided to make no changes and still be so close to the luxury tax, I mean, the the, the thing went up again this year. It went up to 236 this season. Um, I, I think that he just grew frustrated with the fact that, you know, Dombrowski is spending the most – that he possibly can, and other teams are out there having more success uh, with more efficient spending. And when you think about teams that are doing that right now, you think about the Yankees, you think about um, you know the Twins and the the Astros and the Dodgers and and, and teams like that. And I, I feel like 
Henry is looking at this from a businessman standpoint too. I mean, his 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 good money is being thrown at bad in a lot of situations, and I think that he's finally making Dave Dombrowski accountable the same way that you know anybody who ran runs a company would would be accountable to the board if they you know had exorbitant spending and then revenue went down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see that that side of it. I just feel like things seem to get start going further down the toilet as soon as John Henry started speaking out more, and I felt like that was going very unnoticed uh, in terms of just everything about this year has just been an absolute disaster. Uh, and it seems sure like, yeah, <laughs> and it just seemed like um, maybe I was putting too much, well, not, I don't think I was putting too much stock in how things were going with Charrington because he was really handcuffed and it seemed like he was really kind of there just to be a, not a sacrifice, but I mean, almost a sacrifice in terms of the position. He had a tough, tough job. I mean, coming he in, did. in between, uh, Epstein and his successor Dombrowski. I mean, that's, that's a tough situation. Yeah, and having you know back-to-back losing seasons, and that was really, I mean, Charrington's tenure is where a lot of these guys came from. They were Charrington draftees, which is pretty impressive. But that was basically all he all he did was <laughs> uh, focus on drafting and replenishing the um, the farm system, while everything at the major league level seemed to not really have his stamp on it. So maybe thinking back to that, I'm just feeling like Henry may be more involved. I don't know. I feel like what's happened over the past, you know, seven years, uh, he deserves more blame than we're giving him. But I, I, even with that said, I agree with your final point that Dombrowski is, is not the guy for the current situation of the Red Sox. So knowing what's ahead of them, I understand letting him go and not giving him an extension, even though I probably would have. Because I think it is incredibly frustrating to think that they're going to end up going into next season without Martinez or Betts or both. But... If they are really that adamant about cutting payroll, then that's probably going to have to happen, which is just adds to the frustration and how much I'm not looking forward to this offseason and how annoying it's going to be. But I just think that overall it seems like things start to go downhill the more and more that John Henry speaks out or gets involved, one of the two wherever it works out, because that was basically how it ended with Charrington and now Dombrowski. Who would you rather have going forward, Chris Sale and Nate Eovaldi or Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez? Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez? Absolutely, right? And I think that that's one of the reasons why Dombrowski is gone from here is because there is a directive that we just can't spend and spend and spend to an unlimited, you know, amount. And we don't agree with that as fans. I don't personally agree with that. I think the Red Sox absolutely can do that. 
But the fact of the matter is they do have the highest payroll in baseball. So it's tough to justify going up and up and up and up and up in the payroll. And the fact of the matter is that Dave Dombrowski knew that these guys, you know, he knew that J.D. did have an opt-out. He knew that Mookie Betts was coming up and that he was going to be difficult to negotiate with. And he still decided to spend on the rotation exorbitantly. Um, And, you know, we know that spending on – I think everybody knows this. uh, Certainly all the baseball ops guys in the Red Sox organization, not named Dombrowski, Ren, or LaRussa, understand that paying for pitchers into their 30s like they did with Price and like they're doing with Sale and – you know where the the contract will end with Evaldi as well is is not good business. It is it's terrible business, and to do that while you have these question marks with position players who are key cogs to your team and generational talents like Mookie Betts, I think is just it's so so ridiculously risky, and they need to answer for it. So. I was wanted to look at the timing of this, but it looks like Porcello was Charrington. Porcello was Charrington, yep. Because that was a god-awful contract. It actually wasn't, though, from a war standpoint. Like, what he delivered over the course of that contract, he was actually worth that contract. He outperformed the contract in two of the four years that he had here you know I think the the taste that we have of Porcello in our mouth from this year is awful but you know Porcello overall was was pretty damn good over the course of that contract so his Cy Young year he had a 5.1 war and every other year after that his war was two or lower that's 20 million dollars worth for two war I mean, you got to average it out, though. It's it's really like $20 million for three-and-a-half war over the course of four years. I don't think looking at that makes a whole lot of sense. I don't know. I think that a guy like Porcello, I, I personally don't have a, an issue with that contract, but... Obviously, I wish that it had ended differently. I mean, we can we can sit back and nitpick at, at contracts that, that Charrington signed, but, I mean, that's not what's hamstringing them for the future. I mean, that contract is off the books after this year. That doesn't affect the Mookie Betts or Jamie Martinez calculus at all. For this year, it doesn't, or for going into next year, it doesn't, but you don't think that affected past decisions, having $20 million on the books for essentially number three starter already. I just think that – so I was basically thinking about the Evaldi and Porcello deals as too much money for the type of player that you had. And even at the time, um, Porcello hadn't really shown a ton uh, as far as uh, just kind of overall improvement in the stat line to, to be worth uh, – whatever it was, four-year, $82.5 million or $82 billion, whatever it was. But $20 million a year for the production that you got minus that one season, I think, was too much. And the same thing with Evaldi, uh, given his age and injury, $17 million was too much for him. And you don't think that those moves 
restricted what he was able to do this year and in past years, having that money on the books, especially with Porcello and Price and Sale. I mean, you had like what, like almost eighty million dollars between the three of them. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't I don't see how the Porcello money affects what is going to happen next year. Next year is really what matters. Next year and the the year after that. And to to put it in perspective for you, Keaton, I mean, Rick Porcello, over the term of that contract, 2016 to 2019, you can say what you want about him, but he has been the 27th most valuable pitcher by war and has thrown 775 innings over that time span. He outperformed David Price, Madison Bumgarner, uh, over that time span. Um, and he's right behind Archer, Snell. I mean, there he's you know just a couple ticks behind John Lester, who was the guy that we all wanted them to sign. I mean, he's he's a top 30 starter over that time span, even if you know he's looked really bad at times. And he's made 128 starts, which is almost that's top five in the league over that span. It's a ton. I guess I put more of a value on what you're getting in the innings instead of just a quantity of innings. Like, I understand that he's durable, he doesn't get hurt, but he goes out there and he doesn't pitch well. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I see your point. He's He's got a 437 ERA over that span, um, so it's not, you know, it's not an elite ERA by any means. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, it's, it's third starter stuff you know that's what it is and he was a he was a durable third starter whose stuff played up and his stuff played down at times and I think we can debate that as as much as we want but I think what we're really looking at and what we're answering for is you know the 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 guys that Dave Dombrowski did sign and that's Chris Sale that's Evaldi and that's Price and those guys you know have significant questions going forward and that money is going to be on the books when Mookie Betts is coming off the books. So that's directly competing with Mookie Betts' money. Yeah, and I I don't really have a problem with the price contract, and I don't have a problem with the sale contract. If all the one I do. Um, I hate the the move, with, or not the move with price, but um, I hate more about the situation with price how he reacts to media and fans and how annoying he is as a person yeah. <laughs> more than how much he actually makes in a year over year. So yeah, that's I uh, was bummed when he didn't opt out, not for his production, but for just how incredibly annoying it is to talk about his antics and his issues on the mound. And I understand that he's an important piece of the rotation, but if him not being here and not having to talk about him, I would value over his $30 million. But, I, I, I mean, we talked about the price um, contract situation on our previous pod, and we disagreed on that as well. I Again, I understand all of the red flags and waiting, but... You mean the sale contract? Yeah, did I say price? Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, <laughs> sale. We got you all rattled today, Keaton. I know. I, I really am. I'm in the tizzy. <laughs> but, yeah, we talked about the sale 
contract, and you would have waited. And I, again, understand the folks that would have waited. But at the same time, he's an incredibly good pitcher, and those are very hard to find. I didn't really have a problem with Lockheed. And particularly because he had been pitching, not that this should matter, but just as a uh, in terms of business, but as a fan, I feel like I could sympathize with it. The dude was pitching on a contract that did not fit his talents for quite some time. And maybe that's probably his fault for signing it, but uh, also kudos to him uh, for really never bringing it up and just going out there and pitching. But that, I guess my my gripe with that and where I kind of side with you is his past performance shouldn't have dictated as much in what he got, but it, it seemed pretty clear like the Red Sox were doing him a solid by giving him this massive pay bump, even with the red flags and the risks. But I think as shitty as this year has been, it kind of comes back to um, Belichick's old thing about if you can tell me when someone's going to get hurt, then let me know so I can take them out deal. And that goes same with, you mentioned Thornburg and how terrible of a trade that was. At the time, with a healthy Thornburg, probably doesn't look nearly as bad. And considering since Travis Shaw is in the minors right now. You know what and Belichick also says, though? Belichick also says better to be a year early on a guy than a year late. And the best avail- uh, ability is availability? Yes. Smart guy, that Belichick. <laughs> he is. He's he's okay. <laughs> yeah. it's. I feel like – so that was another piece that um, – from your opening thing that I just wanted to mention, too. The I mean, We talked about it on an earlier pod as well that – at the time, face value of the trades for Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg, they didn't look all that bad. The fact that they immediately got hurt and then did absolutely nothing for the Red Sox whatsoever makes the trades look god-awful. But neither one of them had nearly the risks on them that like other pitchers they signed did. And had they worked out, they might have had one of the better bullpens in baseball over the past couple of years. Yeah, it just turned out they got hurt and then never recovered. You've got to be crazy to criticize uh, Dave Dombrowski for his trades, and I am not here to do that. What I am here to do is criticize Dave Dombrowski with how he managed the payroll going forward with you know franchise-level talents coming up off the books. I think he's done a wonderful job with the trades. I, I didn't even have a problem with the Thornburg one. I think looking back at it, like you said, it's it's crappy. But in, in the Carson Smith one, he literally gave up nothing. He gave up, like, Wade Miley. So, like, no one yeah. cares about that. That was a shot that was worth taking. It didn't work out, sure. Um, yeah. But he also then didn't go ahead and repeat that mistake. And he did land... Uh, Ziegler and Reed, who were good, and he landed a bod who was like totally milk toast, but you know, fine. Um, so he wasn't inept at trading. He was great at trading, um, and he was great at choosing the right guys. And he was great during this tenure. I mean, we need to. I was too hard on him the night that he got fired. You know, I said he was a, a shit GM, and I was just completely <laughs> frustrated by the... You were very emotional. Yeah, you know, this this season has been a fucking grind. It absolutely has been. It's been one of the most miserable Red Sox seasons of my life. Um, but I think there's no question that thank you, Dombrowski, for what you did, 
but also, dude, you fucked this payroll. Like, I just don't understand how anybody can think that paying three pitchers who will be in their 30s, late 30s for some of these guys, or at least mid-30s for some of these guys, by the time their contract is up, $90 million of your payroll between three guys in sale, Price, and Eovaldi. I mean, that's that's terrible business when you have so many young franchise players who need to be signed to, to deals. I mean, if you fail to keep Mookie, that is a massive organizational failure and a... You know, it's just, it's shit all over the face of this entire organization. So, as this is a hypothetical, play the game with me for a moment. If next year, Sale and Evaldi are healthy and perform to expectations, are you still this upset at it? Or does it depend on if Mookie is also on the team? Nope, I'm still upset at it because... There's no reason to sign a guy like Eovaldi. I understand. So let me just say this. I wouldn't have paid what they paid for Price, but I get the contract for Price. I get it, even though I think it was against what they did. I don't understand the extension for sale. Um, I do get the argument for it, but the Eovaldi thing was so emotional to me. It was so, thank you so much for your heroic postseason performance, never mind the fact that you've been maddeningly inconsistent over your career and the fact that you've had two Tommy Johns and you're frequently hurt all the time, but here's $68 million. I mean, that that to me was bananas. I agree with you 100%. So it seems like we both understand the price and sale extensions we see the pros and cons, and we both have our opinions on it. Uh, so it seems like we're more in line on those two yeah. than, than we think. But particularly the Evaldi one, I'm 100% with you. This one I don't understand. It was he got $80 million for six innings. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's too much. It's just Dombrowski falling in love with an archetype, hard-throwing, you know, good guy. Um his role, honestly, would have been better if they had just come into the year and been like, yeah, Baldy's going to be our closer. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Man. It's just, it's wild. Um, a couple other things that are worth mentioning, though, and, you know, we're, we're going to go long on this podcast, so this is your definitive edition of the Dombrowski podcast. Um, Alex Cora is not getting enough uh, credit for things going wrong this year. I mean, Cora was guilty of saying that there's no need to turn the page on 2018, the spring training, and we all know the laissez-faire approach that he took to spring training in regards to ramping up his own position players and prospects and the lack of urgency there. I think he learned a tremendous amount from that. But also Dave Dombrowski, man, the way that he has handled himself during press conferences this year in the you know very political-sounding uh, spin he's tried to put on all of his things – has just been so frustrating, and I know that he's been frustrating the hell out of you too, but, like, when Sale got hurt and he said Sale had a new injury and he was just so intent on pointing out the fact that, like, this could <laughs> It not, happened on Tuesday. Yeah, like, this could not possibly have anything to do with my ridiculous choice to give him this contract while he still had a year to pitch under contract after coming off an injury. Like, those types of things just made me completely ready to turn the page and made me feel like 
he was defensive, and from a lot of accounts, uh, I believe it was it was either the Gammons or the Drellic piece. I can't remember which off the top of my head, but people are not happy over in the Red Sox offices, despite winning you know the the World Series last year. It seems like. There's the Dombrowski old school guys who stick to themselves and make a lot of the decisions, and then there's the new school guys that are just hand-wringing over the idiotic decisions that are being made frequently by this organization. Yeah, and so all that comes together, and I, I agree. I mean, we, we, we like we talked about just before that, I don't think it was a surprise that he was fired uh, seeing really just how this year played out. And a lot of people, so when this happened and you and I were venting our frustrations about uh, how it happened and reflecting on Dumbo's time on Twitter last night, uh, we had a few responses from non-Red Sox fans about, like, man, tough life, which, yeah, I get it that to an extent, but also um, one year can change a lot. I mean, we've seen that multiple times and if we were going to go into another season of no one being on the same page apparently I didn't want to deal with that so this has been enough of a pain in the ass where uh, I did not want to end up having to go through it again which is why and ultimately I come around to I understand that Dombrowski had to go and I think the biggest thing for both of us is kind of how it happened that both the timing and the lack of a response from uh, those who actually swung the axe to answer for it and kind of putting, uh, for lack of a better term, innocent players to face cameras and answer questions about it, I think was just idiotic. And I think I have more of an issue with how it happened and the response since than the fact that it did happen. The timing of it was weird, but that, again, kind of fits... They've done this before. Like they let Charrington go in in the middle of August and, yeah. and brought Tombo in that time. So it's the I don't know why they choose to operate that way, but they just they apparently seem to. That's just what they do. But just the biggest thing, just issuing like a a press release instead of actually taking questions on it, I think was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you you just don't you don't blindside. And I, I talked about this with, with Matt today on the Locked On podcast before we got on here, so that would be out at the same time as this one. But, um, you know, it it just – it's it's so unprofessional um, to not let your your manager know the direction of the team. You know, if, if you make this decision and you are deciding to keep on the manager and if you have Eddie Romero coming in who has a good relationship with Cora by all accounts, I mean, he's not on the hot seat. He's staying. Organization likes him. Um, he's had a rough year just like everybody else, but, like, they're fine with that. But then he doesn't know about this and he can't explain it to his players and he's not cued in on what the organization is thinking going forward. Like, when you fire a guy, you can't just fire a guy and have no plan. Like, you, when you fire someone, you have to have a plan and know, here's why we fired them, here's what the organization is doing. And you owe it to, at the very least, the manager to tell him. And then the manager can choose to communicate that with his players however he wants to communicate that with his players. 
And if you're looking to build trust in the same way that Trout has built trust with the Angels organization and Billy Epler and those guys, like the the most successful relationship in sports, I mean, keeping keeping Trout on a 500 team for his entire career because you have a good relationship with him, like clearly they're doing something correct. Um, they don't have that same relationship with Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez, it seems like. Um, you know, they didn't let those guys know. Like, let let Mookie know that he's part of the future plans. Like, tell him, tell these guys, even though they don't have a say, everybody wants to feel like they are part of whatever the decision-making is, is that that's happening. Like, you want to be cued into that. And it was just so tone-deaf. And then for these guys to be blindsided by questions that they are incapable of answering while they're still processing this and, and not really knowing even why it happened is just... It's so bananas, and, um, you know, Matt wrote about this today, uh, about how bad the organization is at firing people, and this is not new. I mean, the, the Francona smear campaign, Manny Ramirez, Nomar Garcia-Para, Josh Beckett, Adrian Gonzalez, John Farrell, Epstein, Charrington, I mean, go down the list. These are all guys that have been, you know, kicked out of town or booed out of town or, you know, had stuff leaked about them, and... You know, some of them screwed up, some of them didn't, some of them didn't screw up nearly enough to get the what they got, um, and some of them were just com- completely jobbed like Francona, and uh, it's it's just it's so anti what you'd think a big successful organization, the most successful organization in this century, uh, would do, but they consistently do it. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the fucking head about Mookie. You want to take a giant step towards retaining him? Give him a heads up. Yeah, and exactly right. like you said, let him know that he's part of the future. Because everything from the 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 owners in the front office has been, it's basically it's up to Mookie whether or not he wants to stay. That's not actually true. It's actually up to you guys. So... If you want to take a massive step and buy some good faith with him and maybe start to turn his opinion of how the organization is run, just give him a heads up. Yeah. Empower Which him. is literally the bare minimum you could do to help someone with a situation like this. And instead they just they didn't give him any heads up. He's answering questions, and one of the questions he got was, how is this going to affect how you're looking for an extension? And he's like, it's not. The answer is going to be the same. You could have gotten way out ahead of that just by giving him a simple heads up, and instead you biffed it. And you got to take into account guys' backgrounds, too. I mean, like, we don't know how Mookie or JD or whatever are going to react to this type of pressure environment. You know, they might prefer an organization where shit isn't run like a complete zoo when it comes to firing guys. I mean, that's... That's one thing that the Red Sox just are, are terrible at. They're they're not good at that, and there are so many other organizations that have, I don't know, more of a soul when it comes to operations than the Red Sox do. They're very cold, calculated, and harsh when it comes to how they operate with players, how they operate with personnel decisions, um, and not everybody responds to that. So this very well could scare off guys like Mookie and JD. I I don't want to discount that one bit. <laughs> How terrified are you in the future of the Red Sox that includes uh, neither Betts or Martinez? 
I mean, I wouldn't like it. I obviously would be upset at both. I would be much more upset if they didn't manage to keep bets. Um, But I do not think I will dwell on it if they let them get away. It will be an organizational failing. I will be upset. But the bottom line is that, you know, they have this amazing core of Xander Bogarts and Devers and Andrew Benintendi um, that they can continue to build around, even if those two guys get away. And um, I don't know. Like everybody else, I'm going to riot if that's goes. But <laughs> I, I guess, like, this organization can survive it, but it will be a real the worst the worst thing that has happened to this organization I will it'll be the worst thing that's happened to this organization in maybe ever in terms of personnel choices it, it will it'll be the worst thing that's happened since Babe Ruth let's just say that yeah I think I agree with you that's really kind of how it feels and it feels like we've been preparing for it for like two years now yeah, I guess that's why I'm a little numb to it. Is because like I've always entertained it as a possibility. But when you when you really think about it, like the Red Sox let Pedro go at the right time. You know, they yep. let they they kept Williams for his entire career, Yaz for his entire career. Uh, you know, Fred Lynn probably could have benefited from staying here from a numbers standpoint. He would have been better in Fenway Park. I mean, there's a there's a lot of guys who are all-time Red Sox greats who, you know, really did get to play out the string. And, you know, we, we wish we got to keep Roger Clemens here and stuff like that. But, man, if, if Betts leaves before Betts finishes his prime, it won't feel right. No, I agree. So That's going to be frustrating. I don't know. Should we get into some listener cues? Yeah, let's do that. All right, so our first listener question comes from uh, Gianni Baseball, and I'm going to mix this one in with the next one from Kaysen Steroyce. And Gianni says, who are the best GM candidates out there? And Kaysen says, who do you think will replace Dombrowski? So we'll kind of take these two together. A couple of candidates that have been floated around that I will read off here. Obviously, Eddie Romero, who is going to be part of that group of four who's running things. Zach Scott, who's the Red Sox analytics chief. His name's been floated around. Mike Hazen, even though that's extremely unlikely because he's head of baseball ops. And Derek Falvey, uh, the chief baseball ops guy from the Twins. Those are some names that have been floated around. Also, Gammons' story was kind of crazy. I don't know if you, you saw that part of it, but he was talking about... The fact that uh, Epstein works for Ricketts, and Epstein's very liberal, and Ricketts is very conservative, and maybe Epstein could try and create a group to buy the Red Sox from from uh, Henry and his group. That would be that'd be insane. <laughs> but, uh, I kind of loved where he was going with that. There is zero percent chance that Henry and those guys will sell to Epstein in particular. Just the, how that entire disaster ended with him. Like, honestly, I already look at Theo Epstein as my 
baseball hero. Oh, and if he was able God. to, if he was able to then turn that around and buy the Red Sox organization from the very folks that forced him out in that disaster, like oh my God, talk about like what what a turnaround and a victory for Epstein that would be. Like you guys wouldn't let me have more responsibility, and you guys thought I was just this young hotshot that didn't really know how good or thought I was too good. Uh, well, I just went and won a World Series with the Cubs and then bought your team from you. Yeah, they did <laughs> the most G move of all time. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I 100% hope that happens, but I, given how things have ended with others in the past, I think there is uh, way too much petty in the Red Sox ownership, and they would never allow that to happen. I agree. So bottom line is we really don't know who is going to be available uh, to replace him out there. And it's one of the more attractive jobs in baseball, even though these Red Sox GMs tend to get axed quite frequently. Um, it's still, you know, the challenge of a lifetime for somebody to be the general manager and or president of baseball ops of the Red Sox. Um but I wouldn't be bummed out to see Eddie Romero just keep this job because Eddie Romero's been with the team since 2006, um, you know, worked extensively in the international market where the Red Sox have just had so much success, has so much institutional knowledge from the Epstein days. Um, I don't know. I, I would be very happy uh, with Eddie Romero as GM, and hopefully he can strike a nice balance between – Charrington's conservatism and uh, Dombrowski's willingness to go out there and, and spend, and I, I think that's kind of the perfect GM. And you know, when I describe that guy, I pretty much describe Theo Epstein. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Eddie Romero is probably the front runner for it. Do you think they would give him baseball ops and GM? I think so. Um, you know, Matt and I talked about this a little bit today on the podcast, but. Uh, I think you need to have a top voice. Um, and I think that this group of four that they have kind of working together is great, and I hope that those three get a tremendous amount of say if they do decide to go with, with Eddie Romero. But I, I do think that there is something to be said for the defining voice in the room. And, uh, but I don't think there will be a president of baseball ops. So I think that was sort of a unique uh, Dombrowski thing. I think that he'll just be the, the GM, like like most teams. Makes sense. Next question. Steven Nichols says, Dombrowski era was an overall success, right? You're, you're damn right. Um, but we need what he was... What? What is this guy saying? Uh, flags fly forever. Thank you for your service. Uh, do you know anything about Romero other than that he's been with the org for a long time? Um, so, yeah, Dombrowski's era was a success. Like I said, I mean, he's been with the Epstein era, been with the Charrington guys and heavily, heavily involved in the international signees. So uh, the, the knowledge that he has of the minor league system and how international signees work, I think, is, I mean, maybe maybe the, some of the best in the entire game of baseball. I think that's fair to say, with the Red Sox success with, with international guys. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about Romero other than he's awesome. Yeah, I think that is what is there is to say. All right. Uh, next question from you hang it, they bang it. He says, can you talk me off the ledge about Mookie? 
And then we have our next question from Shruggy Face that we'll kind of rope into this, and he says, there's no way a team as rich as the Red Sox should ever find itself in a situation where they need to choose between Mookie and JD because they aren't financially feasible, right? Yes. Correct. What's the panic level regarding Mookie's possible departure? I'm on, like, DEFCON 10, man. <laughs> I uh, I, am I think not. he's gone. <laughs> do you really? So if you, I do. If you had to bet, you would say Mookie's gone. Do you think that he is traded this offseason? Um, or do you think he just stays and walks? <sighs> See, traded this offseason is difficult because... I think the direction of the club for next year is going to dictate a lot of that. And whoever the new GM comes in, I don't think... No, I don't think... Because they're still going to have him under under their... Well, I mean, it's technically team control, but he's going to make like $30 million in arbitration. Um, I think, yeah, if he's traded, it will be at the trade deadline. Mm. And it'll be because we had more of the same uh, like this year where they're just stagnant, not going anywhere. And rather than spend a a massive amount of cash on him to really stabilize the lineup, uh, they will trade him at the deadline. So I think if he's gone, it'll be next year, and it'll either be he walks or he's traded at the deadline in a down year for the team. So let me ask you this then. What percentage would you give it that Mookie Betts signs a long-term deal with the team? Five. Wow, you are so low on this possibility. Uh, Maybe you need to talk me off the list. Uh, well, I don't know. Let's see. Let's, let's see how it goes. Um, <laughs> I First of all, I think that it is 50-50 that he gets traded this offseason. I think that the least likely possibility is actually what you mentioned as the most likely for him, uh, which is traded at the deadline. I think they're either going to trade him before the season um, because they can get more value for a guy who's going to be playing a full season than a half season. Um, And I think that there are legitimate questions with the rotation, especially if they get some bad news on sale whether or not the Red Sox even have the ability to compete next year anyway. And I think if they feel like they can't compete, um, then, you know, may as well get some prospects for him, especially if you feel like he's not willing to negotiate with you. And the second most likely thing, I think, is to let him play out the string and then walk. However, I think that the new general manager, whoever that may be, is petrified of the first, you know, thing that happens to him as the GM would be that Mookie just fucking leaves with nothing, you know? Like, that would be... I think that would be horrifying to uh, to whoever's in charge. Um, so, I don't know. And, and as in terms of a percentage, um, percentage that he stays with the team, I guess I would put my percentage at 30%. And if you asked me a month ago, I would have said 70%. That's how much things have changed recently. Yeah, I think it's really swung for me, too. And I think you're right. I mean, you can obviously get more out of him trading him this offseason than waiting until the deadline. But I guess I, under the assumption that they really should be able to compete. And if you are going to compete, there's no reason for him to not be on the roster. And so if they go into 
like the trade deadline next year and it's more of the same where the rotation has just been in shambles. They can't get through games. Uh, they didn't make any significant move in the bullpen, which really should not happen based on uh, hindsight. Um, then I think they would trade him then because they they know that the likelihood of him staying seems pretty low. But if, if – yeah, you're right. I guess if they see that there's large enough holes that maybe they don't expect to compete like they should next season, then they would trade him this offseason because they can get more for him. Yeah. But there's no reason they shouldn't compete next year, and there's no reason that Mookie should not be part of that playoff run. Yeah, unless they have $90 million a pitcher on the shelf. Yeah. That's which, true. Which is not impossible at this point, which sucks. No. Yeah. Jeremy Wright has our next question. He says, is there really any other question other than what the F? Um, Dombrowski was bad and needed to go, but the timing in the uh, <laughs> non-conference, meaning non <laughs> we're in college football season, so I don't want to uh, confuse anybody about non-conference wins. Um, but no, they mean non-press conference, uh, completely mishandled by ownership. Jeremy's exactly right. I mean, this was this was a clown show, the way that this was handled. and you know, it's, it's indefensible, and we talked about that at length. Anything yep. to add there? Nope. Dave Rook has our next question. Will Dave Dombrowski be considered for another job? This is an interesting 100%. one. You think he will? Yeah. I kind of do, too. Um, I don't know whether it will be president or GM, but I think that he will be in somebody's front office in some capacity as soon as next year. Yep. It might be, like, a more laid-back thing, the way that, like, La Russa or uh, Ren are doing right now. Lee do you think that's a better role for him in more of an advisory capacity than a hands-on day-to-day ops capacity? No. Because I think that what he did with the Red Sox um, is something that he could do with other teams. And I think he did his job with the Red Sox extremely well. So while I, you know, my gut reaction was to be really angry at him when I actually slept on it for a few hours, I was like, you know what? He did what he was supposed to do. And if you think about it, like, the Dodgers right now could use somebody like Dombrowski. As great as their GM is... You know, as we speak, the the frustrating thing about the Dodgers has been their inability to close, right? And every year we're like, oh, they should go at a, a shutdown closer or another big bad or whatever, and they just do nothing at the dead, trade deadline. Um, Dodgers are a team that could benefit from somebody with the decisiveness. So I think that as long as there are teams that are sort of on that cusp with talent and the inability to get it done, I think that Dombrowski has proven that he can do that. So he's going to the Nationals. Hey, not not a horrible pick right there. Uh, Lee Waterhouse has our next question. He says, can they keep Mookie and JD, or are they both gone for cap relief? Will they replace with internal person or go outside the org again? Um, I don't think there is anybody internal they can replace them with. Um, no. Like I, I don't think Dahlbach is going to be able to supplement anything that they've given, and I don't think Castus is either, and he's still pretty distantly away. I don't think there is an internal option. Well, I mean, I guess maybe what they could do, you mentioned Dahlbach, maybe next year if they did get rid of Mookie, they could play 
Benny in center, J- Jackie in right because he's got a cannon for an arm, and then play Dahlbeck in left field. He's athletic enough to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's a thought. It's not optimal. <laughs> but if if you really like wanted to replace one of these guys, I think you would have to go outside the organization to to truly replace them. Yeah. So you, I was thinking about this earlier because um, Nick Castellanos has been linked with the Red Sox for like two or three years at this point, mm-hmm. and he'll be a free agent. And there's uh, there was already speculation like around the trade deadline that JD was going to opt out, and then the Red Sox were going to basically replace him with Nick Castellanos. Uh, the way that he's played with uh, the Cubs, though, he's probably going to cost you more yeah. than what you're paying JD Martinez. So I don't think that's going to work, even though he's been a hot name linked with the Red Sox. I'd rather have JD. I would too. I think the Red Sox are very likely to keep J.D. I think that the the more likely player that they keep at this point is J.D. than Mookie, and I don't see any scenario where both are gone. I think they're going to keep at least one. I think that's kind of doomsday stuff to think that they're gonna they're not going to have either. Well, if J.D. opts out, would you say that the Red Sox are further from contention? Then that might lead them to trade bets. Yes, but also then they'd have more money. They would. And that's really what Betts wants, right? Yeah. Like all the money, apparently. Betts just wants literally all of the money. Uh, Dave Lantham has maybe the best question of the night. He has a MFK with Dave Dombrowski, Theo, and Charrington. This is lovely. Where are you going with this one? Definitely marrying Theo. Love of my life. I agree, 100%. Uh, And then I think the next two basically fall in line with how the Red Sox treated them, and I will kill Charrington and bring Dombrowski in here for a quick F in a World Series. You know what, Keaton? From my heart to your mouth, uh, that was perfect. Yeah. Um... I can't add anything else. That was that was very nice. Uh, Carlinoscopy has our next question. He says, if you were starting a franchise, would you rather have Dombrowski or Betts? Betts. Yeah, I think this was intended to be a joke, so I'm just going <laughs> to laugh at it and say Betts. Um, WC Sox uh, has our next question. He says, since they've backed themselves into a corner financially, where will Mookie be traded? Dodgers seem to match up well. I might be more inclined if they don't win it all this year. Dodgers are an interesting location. Two other teams that I've thought quite a bit about are the Atlanta Braves and the San Diego Padres, who have super stocked farm systems and are closer to contention, I think, than they thought they were going to be at this time period. Braves would be wild. Well, can't you imagine, like, a... Like, a you know, package of Drew Waters and, like, um, I don't know, Kyle Wright to the Red Sox for Mookie Betts or something like that? Yeah, I think it could. And that would be pretty, pretty good consolation prize for the Red Sox. It would be. Hopefully it doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I'm not advocating for this, by the way. <laughs> um, Kevin Bolton, did you have any other teams you wanted to mention? No. Um, I think Atlanta actually makes a whole lot of sense. It's close to Tennessee. It is. Ish. Kevin Bolton. Closer than Boston. Yes, very. He has our last question, and he says, one of the things we knew Dom, Dom would do uh, would be deplete the farm system to win now. Now that Dom is out, it kills me to write it. Uh, who do we have to trade away, and where are some potential farm systems the Red Sox can pick prospects from? Do you think they trade Evaldi? Oh, man, I, I would love to trade Evaldi. That'd be great. Let's trade Evaldi. Um, there's always a market for pitching, right? So if, if the right. Red Sox find themselves in a position where they're trading Mookie and maybe even Jackie or, you know, whatever over this offseason and they want to start unloading some guys, um, they'll be able to find homes for all these guys. They have a ton of great players on their roster. So, you know, I but the systems that come to mind are systems like the Dodgers, the Braves, and the, the Padres that are rich systems that are teams that are competing now or looking to compete now. Other teams with great systems that are closer to them in their league, like uh, the Chicago White Sox or the Tampa Bay Rays, are much less likely to trade with a team like the Red Sox, in my opinion. Yeah, that was the other team that came to mind was actually the White Sox because they have a very interesting farm. But I don't think that they are, or maybe they don't feel like they themselves are close enough to contention. I don't really know what their whole vibe is, but yeah, you're right. I don't think they would be as inclined to do it. The White Sox are interesting because their offense is sort of better than anybody expected it to be. Right. And their biggest gap would be pitching behind Giolito is really the only reliable one that they have. Um, Kopech plans to come back healthy next year, but he's only had like nine innings at the major league level, so he's still a question mark, still has a bunch of talent and a lot of pedigree, but whether or not he ends up as a, he can stay a starter at the major league level is still a big question, so yeah. It's going to be wild. It is. Well, that wraps it up. That is our well over an hour podcast about Dave Dombrowski, so we do hope you enjoyed it. We hope that we were informative. If there's anything still Dombrowski that you didn't get to get answered by us, uh, we will be back with you at the end of this week for another edition of the Over the Monster podcast. So we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, go on, subscribe to us, rate and review us, tell your friends about us, and follow Keaton and I on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. So thank you very much. And we will be with you for next week's episode. Go to the zoo. It's swell. Thank you.